Welcome into another summer edition of the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Fritschner alongside Rick Broering and Rick Xavier lands their first high school commitment for the class of 2023. Sean Miller gets his first high school recruit since coming back to Xavier. Of course, he got Sully Boom in the transfer portal, but he goes and gets his first high school recruit as a four star point guard. Out of North Carolina, I had read his bio a while ago out of Missouri, but that's just where he plays his high school ball. He is out of North Carolina, um, beat out Virginia in particular as a high major school, but uh, a laundry list of other schools that were in on Trey Green, an elite shooter, a bit undersized at 5'10", but he's talked a lot about that uh, and his ability to kind of overcome that. And surely, I mean, you look at the point guards that – uh, Sean Miller is coached through his career. You look at the point guards that have come through Xavier. I don't have to list them all, but you know, D Davis certainly comes to mind as, as one of the more recent examples, but you know, even going back to Holloway, some of these guys that, that they're not going to jump off the chart with their height, but they have that athleticism. They have that ability to score, to shoot. And that's something that Trey green can really do at a high level. So that's why I put in a tweet that I said yesterday, don't let the, don't let the listing of, of 510 and 160 or whatever it is, don't let that fool you because this is really, really a top end talent that Xavier got. And uh, it, it, I would go so far as to say that, that this is the cornerstone uh, of a record of a recruiting class, a top 100 guy and a heck of a way for Sean Miller to get his uh, second stint at Xavier started. Yeah. And this is a guy that I think is a really good get for Xavier. And I think, most Xavier fans feel that I play it pretty down the middle when talking about these recruits. I don't get too excited um, necessarily on particularly guys just because they commit to Xavier, but he's one of those where as you're watching, you're thinking regardless of where he ends up, I'm going to keep following his career and I'm going to enjoy watching him in college because he's just fun. He's dynamic with the ball in his hands. He's crossing guys up, coming off screens and hitting fadeaway threes. You know, he's shooting threes from 30 feet. He is just, a really talented scorer who can shoot it as well as anybody in the country. And when you dig into the numbers a little bit deeper with the Nike EYBL, which 2023 was not a very strong class in terms of overall talent. And all of the talent was concentrated on the Nike EYBL circuit. Adidas was way down this year. Under Armour was way down. EYBL is always the, the best talent, but this year there was such little talent in the other uh, the other circuits that it was it was a really big discrepancy and you dig into his numbers there wasn't another what I would call volume shooter so guys who were taking more than like three three pointers per game uh, you know a lot of the most of these guys if they played a full season in the UIBL they played 25 26 games this year so I mean that you can rack up a lot of three-point attempts Trey Green was fifth most overall. I think he had like 137 attempts over the course of EYBL play. So that was the fifth most attempts. He was by far the highest percentage out of those volume type shooters. No one with over 65 attempts throughout the, the course of the spring and summer shot over 40%. So when you look at how much better he was shooting in terms of efficiency than these other guys, and then you factor in that a lot of his threes are several feet behind the three-point line. He's beyond NBA range for a lot of them. And some of them are coming off the dribble. Some of them are off balance. He is, in my opinion, and I don't think I'm the only one who, who holds this opinion, he is the best shooter in the entire country in the 2023 class. 
for those of you that are listening that are subscribed to Rick's message board, I know we do get some listeners that aren't subscribed. Before I ask my question, Rick, is the deal still going on? Is the 15% off deal still going on? We'll pitch that early. Yeah, we're, we're recording this on Sunday night. The deal will go through Monday night. So you still have a little bit of time if you're listening to this podcast early. You can get 50% off a year subscription. It's $4.48 a month at that point. And I know okay. some people just hate paying money for online content, but think about how many stupid things you spend $5 on throughout the course of a month. I mean, a, a fast food lunch costs you over $5 these days. A coffee, if you get it out, is costing you around $5 these days. This is something you're going to log into every single day. Yeah, but the absolutely. average number for our subscribers, I think, is like 4.5 logins a day or something like that. So most people are logging in constantly throughout the day. You're going to use it all the time. Just sign up. You won't regret it, I promise. So yeah, take advantage of that deal. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, no doubt. So like Rick said, that runs through uh, today's the 7th, Monday the 8th. So make sure you uh, subscribe to that before tomorrow night when it ends. But what I was going to say off of that was you put up a great 13 minute clip. You had about a two and a half minute clip on Twitter that was an abbreviated version of it. But you put up, a, uh, it was probably about a little over 13 minutes of every basket that he scored on his summer circuit. That's Trey Green, that is. And uh, watching that video, what you had just said stood out to me whether it was coming off the, I thought his off ball movement was great being able to work off of screens and, and use those ball screens, use those off ball screens to be able to free up his movement. And also to me, what stood out right away within the first couple of minutes was how quick his release was. Like he didn't need a lot of room to get off his shots. He was really decisive in being able to figure out, okay, I have just enough space to get my shot off. I don't care where I am on the court. Like you said, he's, he's two, three, four feet behind the three point line and he's, shooting that ball with the same confidence as whether he's toes an inch behind the line. I mean, he, he was stepping into his shots with a lot of confidence. He was deciding to shoot the ball uh, when he was open and it didn't matter where. And you could tell that uh, that's, that's the type of player that I think Xavier fans are going to have a lot of fun watching somebody that can shoot the basketball at such a high level like that uh, and, and can score regardless of his size. You said something really interesting right there about him playing off the ball, cutting, moving, coming off screens. They run a ton of set plays. So his prep school coach at Link Academy in Missouri, like you were talking about before, he, he was from Greensboro, North Carolina. He moved out to Missouri to play at Link Academy, a prep school for his final year of high school basketball. And his prep school coach was the same coach that he had for Mocan Elite, his AAU team on the Nike UIBL circuit. That guy is now, he was just hired as an assistant coach for Kansas State after the Peach Jam, after they won it all. But they ran a ton of set plays for him. And a lot of times it would consist of him bringing the ball up the court, passing it off, and then he became a cutter. They were using him to run off screens just like you would maybe your shooting guard. And that's an interesting point for Xavier because they have Desmond Claude in this previous class. And Desmond Claude wants to be a point guard. He's definitely going to play some at the point this year because the only other option I think right now is Sule Boom, unless maybe you're going to slide Colby Jones over. But you think about that. And I, I remember back when Desmond Claude committed, one of the things he said about coming to Xavier and talking to the staff and everything was that he felt like he wasn't going to get recruited over at the point guard position. So I don't think Trey Green coming in in this 2023 class is them recruiting over Desmond Claude as a point guard. I think they see these guys as guys that can play really well together and complement each other. And that's exactly what they do because you think about Trey's deficiencies and it's his lack of size. And that's going to make him pretty limited on the defensive end in terms of who he can guard, right? He's going to have to guard a smaller, likely the other team's point guard. But Desmond 
doesn't have that issue. He's 6'5", he's long and athletic. He's going to be versatile. He can probably guard one through three, maybe even four in a pinch for you. So he really can play alongside Trey on the defensive end where you're usually most worried about your limitations and your matchups and your personnel. And on the offensive end, Desmond, the hole in his game is outside shooting. He needs guys that can space the floor around him that'll draw the defense out so he can get downhill, get into the lane, which he does so well, and make plays. Well, Trey Green provides exactly that for him. So you can easily play these guys alongside each other. And I think that's part of what Xavier sees in their future, because if you're talking about the most talented players on this roster heading into the 2023-24 season, you're likely thinking of those two freshmen coming in this year, Cam Kraft and Desmond Claude, probably Cesar Edwards and Trey Green at this point. Now, obviously, that's a lot of potential we're talking about because we haven't seen anything from Cam Kraft, Desmond Claude or Trey Green yet at the college level. I think we all think Cesar Edwards is going to take a big step forward this year. But I, I think you, if you were taking Trey Green in this class, you thought that he would fit well with Desmond Claude and you can play those guys together going forward. And I think it fits together perfectly, personally. Now, if you just look around the Big East at the very surface level, you look at Creighton, Ryan Nemhard. He's six foot. He's listed at six foot. There's no way he's six feet tall. Maybe he is with his hair. But I mean, you look at undersized point guards in the Big East. It's not like in this new Big East, if, if you want to call it that in the last few years. Sure, Nemhard has his deficiencies if you really want to break down his game, his ability to go with both hands, those kinds of things. But if you're just looking at an undersized point guard and somebody that's had success, Nemhard did have a lot of that kind of success. I'm not comparing those two as a player. I'm just saying if you're looking at the 2022 style of basketball, you know, I, there were a lot of mentions, a lot of people going on about 5'10". Like, I, I really don't think that that's something that we're, you're going to have to worry a lot about. Yeah, I think that's something that factors into like his ranking overall. A lot of people sure. are like, well, he's around 100. I think now he's down to 98th in the 24-7 uh, overall rankings for that class. Well, a, a lot of that factor when you're talking about the rankings and where these guys are situated has to do with their overall upside and their ability to be a professional. Yeah, he really doesn't have a lot of ability there necessarily as an NBA guy. I mean, I'm sure he hopes he does, but as a 5'10 point guard, chances are he's not going to be uh, an NBA player unless he really is just a an extraordinary talent. And if he is, that'll be great for Savior, obviously. But when you talk about his ranking, yeah, he's somewhat limited there in terms of the upside. But what I think he does bring is a guy who can make a really early impact. His skill set is already there. He's got the three-point shooting from crazy distance with great efficiency. He's got a really crafty mid-range game and a floater that I think is going to become a go-to shot for him. And then even around the basket at 5'10", because of his athleticism and because of his quickness, and something that you said before, his decisiveness. When he goes to shoot, whether it be a three-pointer that he's letting it fly or he's making a drive to the basket and trying to get it up off the glass, he is decisive. He's going right at you. And I think sometimes just because of his quickness and that, that decisiveness, he almost catches the defense off guard and he's able to get those shots off before they're able to, to really contest him. And that's what really stood out to me watching his film from three to four feet from beyond the arc is a lot of times you'll see guys catch the ball. They'll start to hesitate a little bit. They'll realize that the defender is not coming out on them immediately and then they'll chuck up the shot. He wasn't doing that. He was catching the ball four feet beyond the arc and immediately turning to the basket knowing I'm going to shoot this basketball because my defender's five feet away from me, either coming off the screen or just not respecting me from this far out. One of those two options and the ball was going in. So fr from that perspective, and especially in a high major conference like this, those are the kinds of things that you're going to have to look at in a, in a point guard and an ability to, to make decisions at a quick, timely fashion. And, and he showed an ability to do that. Now, 
playing off of that shooting, how did, in your mind, Rick, uh, having watched these guys through the years, through their high school years, how do you see a guy like Cam Craft and a guy like Trey Green complementing each other as far as the shooting goes and, and having a lot of shooting on the court at one time? Well, I think that's a great problem to have, and it's something that Xavier's really been missing over the last few years. In my opinion, the biggest issue with these Xavier teams over the last four years has been the lack of shooting that they've had. The roster has not been lacking talent overall. I mean, I think you see that right now. Like this new coaching staff is excited about the guys they're inheriting. They really think Colby Jones and Jack Nungy and Adam Kunkel uh, can play and Zach Fremantle too. But I just think there was never a time where all the pieces fit well together. Like Paul Scruggs is a great individual piece, I think. But you really need to surround him with some guys that can open the floor for him and enhance his game. Xavier wasn't able to do that. Same thing goes for a guy like Dwan Odom. In this case, you have a guy like Desmond Claude, who we just talked about, who's a downhill driver, who's a playmaker and gets in the lane a ton. You want to be able to surround him with some shooting. It'll play out over the next few years how great these two shooters are, talking about Cam Craft and Trey Green. We'll see how it all plays out. They've got to prove themselves at the high major level still, and it's not easy in the Big East. But if I'm betting on anyone in terms of becoming good shooters out of those last two classes, Cam Craft is right up there with the best shooters in the country in the 2021 or the 2022 class. And Trey Green, again, in my opinion, is the best shooter overall in the 2023 class. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, I think uh, everybody listening to this is going to be excited enough about everything that they're hearing right now. So let's, let's turn the page just a little bit. Um, and we can still keep talking about Trey Green and how all of this affects the rest of the recruiting down the line. Um, are there other names you've, you've mentioned a lot of this on the message board, but how does Trey Green's commitment affect the recruiting now for 2023? Is this, do you see this Rick as something that's going to start a domino effect for other recruits? Like somebody just had to get it started committing to Sean Miller and the new staff. And, and now some more might fall into place. Is this, we're going to be waiting for a while. How do you see things transpiring? Well, I think part of it is we're just at that time of year. Usually once peach jam is over, Guys make some visits and they want to have a decision before either their school year starts or at least before their high school season starts in October, November. So you're going to see guys make decisions fairly quickly, probably. I don't know that any one is imminent right now. Uh, I mentioned on the message board, and again, it's, it's a great time to sign up right now because if you sign up for an annual subscription, you're going to get the tail end of this recruiting cycle here to finish off the summer. You're going to get all the preseason practices and pre-season information with a new coaching staff the whole season the transfer portal in the spring and then the whole recruiting cycle again in the summer so sign up now and get 50 percent off but i i had made calls today sent out some texts today i'm going to be doing the same thing tomorrow people are a little more active on a monday kind of see where everything's at with xavier's other recruits right now see if there's movement I don't think Trey Green necessarily sets off any type of domino effect, but one thing you do get is Trey Green is a pretty dynamic kid, got a great personality. He has already said he's going to be recruiting for Xavier. He's talking to Sean Harris-Smith, uh, some of these other guys that Xavier's recruiting. So maybe he is just able to help you get the ball rolling a little bit better. Uh, I don't think he necessarily triggers other commitments, but I do think you have a couple guys that are coming down the stretch of their recruitments right now that Xavier's in there with. Deshaun Harris-Smith is one of them. Very talented player, a unique player we've talked a lot about on the message board. I think right now it feels like it might be trending away from Xavier here. They've been in it until the very end. 
I've said all along, though, that I think the draw to stay close to home and play at Villanova or Maryland with with their new coach, Kevin Willard, has made a strong push here late in his recruitment. I think those two schools probably are at the top right now for him, if I had to guess. And then the other two guys that are on the wing that I think Xavier is in pretty good with both of them is Reed DeCharm and Dalen Swain. And I think it's probably one or the other. I don't think those two guys are going to end up going to the same school. And I don't know that you'd necessarily want to take both of them, given that um, in theory, they're both shooters on the wing. I think Dalen is a little bit more versatile. He, he plays on the ball a little bit more uh, and has a little bit more long-term upside as an athlete, I think. Uh, but Reed is probably more of a finished product right now and is, was certainly more productive during the month of July overall. So um, which of the two would you take? Right now, gun to your head. I think I would take Dalen Swain because of the long-term upside, the versatility, and the fact that you have two bona fide shooters, in my opinion, with Cam Craft and Trey Green. I don't feel like you're hurting for shooting as much. I think Reed is more of a sure thing that he's going to be able to knock down shots uh, for you. So um, it's close, though. I think, honestly, if you probably asked most coaching staffs right now about those two, you'd get differing opinions. So I can't say for certain how Xavier's coaches feel about it, but uh, my guess is they've probably had that conversation a lot. I can just hear the giddy laughter from everybody listening in their car right now that you're saying that Xavier won't be lacking for shooting and that they can maybe look elsewhere. You're <laughs> this is dangerous talk, Rick. Well, you know, I it's one of those things where you could never have enough shooting, in my opinion. Like I'll take as many shooters as you want, but I think both Dalen and Reed, if they reach their upside, you're gonna think they're good shooters. Like yeah. Dalen has to be a pretty good shooter in the college game to be a productive and effective player. That's what I was really most impressed by this summer is when he came to Xavier's team camp, it was different because on all Ohio red, he doesn't play with the ball in his hands nearly as much. And Devin Royal had such a good summer for them on the wing playing alongside of him that it was like, you know, you got a point guard who's, who's playing with the ball in his hands a lot. You've got Devin Royal touching the ball a lot. You got George Washington getting the ball a lot. Like, he's got some other dudes on that all Ohio team where he's just not the main guy or focus on offense. So I think he, when he came to Xavier's team camp, he played with his high school team and you got to see him playing with the ball in his hands a lot more. He was running the point some, and he was shaking dudes up with crossovers and hitting step back jumpers from three that really opened my eyes to his upside. Cause I'm like, if he can, beat guys off the dribble and hit step back jumpers and play in the mid range a little bit more like he was doing. His upside is pretty high. He's six, six. He's long. He's athletic. He's very skinny still. And he kind of has sort of that, uh, Edmund Sumner esque look to him where I always see guys like that as having a lot of upside, because if you come to the high major level these days, you're going to get bigger, stronger, faster. Like you yeah. see skinny guys and you say, Oh, he has to bulk up. Well, that's not a problem. Everybody bulks up. Like NKU had Marquez work that came in that was like 155 pounds when he got there. He's playing at like 187 pounds now as a junior. Adam Kunkel was whatever, 160 something when he came to Xavier. I heard he was at 188 right now after working out this offseason. So these guys are always going to get bigger and stronger. And what you find sometimes with those long, lean, athletic guys is that when they put on a little more strength, they all of a sudden become really athletic you saw that with Edmund Sumner he was a pretty good athlete when he got to Xavier all of a sudden he's dunking on Octavius's Ellis's head uh for exclamation points in the crosstown shootout and he becomes an NBA talent so uh that's something with Dalen Swain where I think I might uh 
I don't know if you're swinging for the fences by taking him, but I guess for me, I just look at it and see a little bit more upside. And I don't feel as worried about needing to take the sure thing from a shooting perspective, because again, you got Trey green and camp craft ahead of him. Yeah. Not to derail this at all talking about UC, but uh, anything on Isaiah Collier through the grapevine that you've heard one way or the other, or am I just, is this a throwaway question? No, I mean, I think they've done a good job of recruiting them. I think they're legitimately in the mix. Do I think he's going to end up there? I don't know. I think that's going to be really tough. Uh, I mean, yeah. I think Michigan is in there pretty good. I, I do think UC is up at the top. I, I you know, I think they have a legitimate shot. But uh, if you're telling me, do I like their chances of landing him? Uh, I, I wouldn't feel great about making that bet right now. But gotcha. um, but hey, it's a fighting chance for a legitimately great talent at the point guard position. I mean, he is the real deal. So uh, I would feel very good about that as a Bearcat fan if they were able to land him. I just don't know that it's very likely that they will. Yeah, sure. Um, anything more on recruiting? Anything Trey Green recruiting? Anything we haven't talked? Plenty of content on the message board and everything else. Um, but Rick, anything else before we talk about the the current team a little bit here too? Well, I think they're going to also look at adding a front court piece. And it's been a little bit slower okay. in terms of information on names in the front court. The guys that we've talked about a lot are Lodgy Dembele and Caden Fish. Caden Fish played with Trey Green on his AAU, ta- AAU team, Mocan Elite. And uh, they were they were good together. He's undersized. He's listed at like six foot six. And he plays kind of like a uh, a post player at this point, like a, a four or five true power forward type of guy. Um, he rebounds pretty well. And he's very effective. I mean, he's he's efficient. He knows his role. He, he wants to bang inside. He, he wants to defend. And uh, I think He's he's a solid piece. I don't think you're going to be wowed by his long term potential or his upside, but I think he's a guy that can find a role um, potentially at the high major level. And Laji Dembele is a little bit bigger. He's more of a blow the rim big man too. Uh, I think those guys are kind of in the same bucket right now. It's not you're not looking at getting both of them, but one or the other um, are definitely a possibility. And there's another guy that I've been chasing around a bunch of information and just trying to get the story straight and make sure I know what I'm talking about before I post about him. But there is another uh, very serious prospect in the front court that I will be posted about on the message board this week. So again, sign up for the message board, take advantage of that 50% off before Monday night. So you can get all that information. Um, It's also possible that they go the international route for a big man. Again, I don't think they, this 2023 class wasn't very good overall. There's not a ton of depth there in terms of talent. So I think it's possible that they just carry over some scholarships into the spring transfer portal season and don't worry too much about getting into second and third options here. So do you think that they could end up with two in 2023 and and that might be it? I think they'd probably like to get three guys, ideally, if they can get the right ones. And again, it could be something we're looking at later in the year because it's an international guy and the the time doesn't quite line up the same with those guys as it does our, our high school pro- prospects over here. But yeah, yeah it's possible. I, I don't think they're going to reach and say, we've got to get a third or a fourth guy in the 2023 class because you've got the transfer portal these days. This staff feels confident in their ability to get guys from overseas too. So it's it's only going to be prospects that they feel good about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No doubt about that. So let's move into uh this year's current team, a uh, couple of days ago, you put a great post on the message board just on some thoughts, some nuggets about this year's team and how the summer has gone. 
of those nuggets and notes, Rick, is there anything that stands out to you particular, uh, any big highlights, anything that's jumped out to you or things that keep coming up as a common thread and conversation that you're hearing from all the coaching staff, whoever you're talking to on the inside, uh, inside the Cintas centers, things that are, are really highlights uh, from the summer that going into this season, people can look forward to. Yeah. A, a few things I would say about that. One is you got to understand what, workouts are this time of year okay like i've been to these things before i won't say <laughs> which school they were at but it's a lot of five on oh it's a lot of everybody looks good you know i mean it's it's not it's not real practice in the way that it's going to be where guys are competing for spots and you're getting more five on five action and stuff like that when we get into september and october uh so Take those comments for what they're worth, which is this is what we're seeing based on guys lifting weights and then going through these on-court workouts, which they're very limited to what they can do. They do four hours of on-court workouts per week. So uh, some of those might just be skill workouts with a group of players that are getting in like shooting drills. Sometimes they might be full team workouts where they're doing a little bit more like a normal practice. But again, a lot of it has to do with like, uh, we're going to run through our offense five on O to make sure you guys know it before we get into actual practice. So uh, with that being said, there are two things that stood out to me about what I, I heard and what I posted. One, everyone is really raving about Zach Freeman right now. So I, I think they're very happy with his dedication to the game of basketball and how much he loves working hard and getting after it. That's something that I think Sean Miller just really values no matter who it is. And I, I think him and Zach Freeman have really hit it off. I think the whole staff is pleased with the way he's working. And I do think that his injury... And then him getting into a bad headspace last year really screwed up his season. I think he will have a really strong bounce back year. Now, does that mean it works perfectly playing him and Zach a ton of minutes together and him being at the four? I don't know that, you know, you mean, I, him, I, and, you mean him and Jack, him and Jack. Sorry. Yeah. What yeah, did yeah. I say? Him and Zach, him and Zach. I mean, that'd be pretty cool. I guess I always get screwed up by saying Zach and Jack when we're talking about that. I guess I need to say <laughs> yeah. Fremantle and Nunji, but yeah. yeah. So I think I think there are some concerns, about, and at least in my opinion, there are about how many minutes you can play those two guys together and certain matchups if you can play them together much. But overall, I think you can expect a better year from Fremantle, and I, I, that's something I've heard a lot. The other thing that really stuck out to me was the comments about the freshman Desmond Claude and Cam Craft. I, I think uh, I put it in exact quotes, but I think the quote I got was something like, "They've been phenomenal." And it would be a shock if that, that if they don't both make an impact right away as freshmen. So, you know, does that mean they're starting? No, probably not. I think the starting lineup is pretty well set. There will be some competition there. But I think for the most part, we have a decent idea of who has a, a big lead on those starting positions. But I think both of those guys are going to be expected to play minutes and meaningful minutes at that. You want to list your starting five since you mentioned it? Yeah, I think you're going to go Sule Boom at the one. You can go Adam Kunkel at the two. Colby Jones at the three, and then Jack, excuse me, Zach Freeman all at the four, and Jack Nunji at the five. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have any arguments with that. I don't really think because you look maybe down the line and you look at the development, like you're not starting Cesar right away if you're talking about Jack and Zach as much you, as you are right now. Colby's a no brainer. Everybody's raving about Sule Boom and his ability to come over and make an impact right away. He's already played college ball. Um, so yeah, I, that's, that would be what I would agree with too, especially with experience and, and all yeah. of that. I mean, I, I, I find it hard to believe that any of the backups at those positions are going to make it 
like obvious that you shouldn't start one of the others. But that being said, I can very well see you get into certain matchups and you're going to be better off playing Colby Jones at the four, going smaller, maybe getting Cam Craft on the floor so you can get more shooting going. That makes a lot of sense to me. So I think there are games where you won't see that starting five play the most minutes together necessarily, but it's hard for me to imagine those five not being the starters, at least to get the year going. Yeah, and if you look at the names you didn't mention, I mean, Deontay Miles isn't starting. Jerome Hunter isn't starting. Cesar's not starting. Elijah Tucker, we haven't even seen him yet. And then you're not going to start the freshman right away. So if you knock it down that way, if you go from, if you work backwards, that's what you end up with too. Yeah, process of elimination type deal. It feels pretty easy to get to that starting five. And that's the way I feel. And, you know, I mean, the coaches are going to tell you that every position does up for grabs or whatever. But like realistically, I think going into this year, the starting five is pretty well set for the Xavier team. Yeah, yeah. And, and Kiki Tandy was somebody we didn't even mention, but we don't need to go down that rabbit hole right now, unless unless you're sitting on any on any. I mean, the only thing I, I heard about Kiki is that it sounds like he's lost some weight, that he's uh, taken his his uh, workouts really seriously, and their goal was to get him down some weight. I saw he was listed at 199 last year on the roster, and my guess is he was probably playing a little over 200 pounds, so it makes sense. That's probably too heavy for him, and he he was very athletic when he came into Xavier, and we haven't really. He hasn't played a whole lot, obviously, but we haven't seen any of that type of athleticism come out since, uh, you know, over the course of the last year or so. So maybe uh, he slims down a little bit and they can find a role for him. Maybe he'll be able to make some shots off the bench. And the one thing that you do hear as a common thread through all of this is how hard Andy Kettler is working all these guys throughout the summer. I, I feel like every time I turn around and I talk to somebody that's heard something or, or talk to anybody around the program, it's always just, uh, how how hard he's working them, but also how I would say the expectations and and how everything just feels feels like it's at another level right now that that these guys are re getting you know readjusted to I guess I should say yeah I, people were really excited about being able to bring Andy Cutler in and this is what I heard was he's a name that has come up in the past multiple times where you know they didn't necessarily need to make a new hire or whatever but like there were just when when they had made had talks about like who's out there or who would be a guy that they'd be interested in, his name is one that had come up. And obviously he's familiar with the area. He's a St. X grad, all of that stuff. Um, but it, it's not a surprise that he ended up at Louisville with Chris Mack. And it's not a surprise that Xavier went out and got him and brought him back here. So I know they were really excited about being able to land him. And it sounds like uh he's he's paying dividends already. Of course, I don't know if the players would agree with that right now. I'm sure they're pretty sore <laughs> most mornings when they wake up, but uh, I think he's getting the job done. You mentioned Chris Mack. The article just came out the other day that he sold his house in Louisville. He's not coaching this year, but you think he's done? I I just can't. I just somebody asked me about that two nights ago, and I just I don't know anything. I don't I don't. Well, you could just say that about a lot of things. I don't. <laughs> we'll just I, clip that. We'll use that yeah, as a drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, I don't know. Any, I don't have any insider info on this. I just know Chris as a person is such a competitive person that. We've talked before that Chris always said Louisville was going to be his last spot, but as a competitor, I just, I just can't see him going out on that note, but maybe he will. I kind of agree, I, it, but I'll be honest. I could see it either way. It wouldn't entirely surprise me if he, this is it. I could see him going into TV and being pretty good at that. Honestly, like I could see him doing the ESPN route or maybe doing that at least for a couple of years. And it wouldn't entirely surprise me. But there is part of me that thinks he is a competitive guy and there's probably going to be some type of sour taste in his mouth from the way things ended. 
it would not shock me if he resurfaces, but I think it'll be a little bit. I don't think he's going to be back right away. No, no, he's not coaching this year. So, well, that's for sure. Give it, yeah, give it, give it a little time. And yeah, I think if he committed to the media thing, I think he'd be good at it. If it was just like, I'm, I might kick it around. I'm going to do a show here, do a show there. You know, I think if he just said, I'm going to do this, look, look at what Sean Miller did. He did the media tour for a year and, and he turned his public image around a hundred percent and, got everybody back on board and now he's got a job again. And a lot of that was a lot of other circumstances too, but you know what I mean? You get the underlying point. I think, I think Chris would be good doing like studio work for ESPN or even doing color analysis for games. I mean, Chris, when he wants to be engaged with people and wants to be, I mean, he came to our podcast at Dana's with the fans and had a beer and ate a burger and was funny and made jokes and talked about the dumbass play and all of that stuff. So, I mean, like, I think he can be very engaging and quick witted and bring humor and insight to it. Like, I think he would be pretty good if he wanted to do the ESPN thing and call games and, and do some studio work. Um, but at the same time, I could see him just being like, no, I, I wanted to get away and spend time with my family and coach my kids. And, that's what I'm going to do. Cause he, I mean, he legitimately likes being around his family. I know there's plenty of coaches in this industry that are happy to get away and recruit and do those types of things. But Chris was not one of those guys. He likes actually being with his family and, and being a dad. So I could see him enjoying where he's at as well. Rick, you put out a tweet uh, about an hour ago asking for some questions. I think you and I have pretty generally touched on most of the things that people tweeted in about. Um, I guess one that we haven't really talked a ton about uh, Mitch asked, what's the biggest difference between the coaching styles of Sean Miller and uh, Travis Steele? Um, I mean, if you want, well, like can we at least maybe see a practice first. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, we haven't been at anything. I mean, I, I, yeah. I have no idea. Um, other than that workouts right now that we're not allowed to see. So, yeah. Other than that, uh, I, I'm not seeing a ton here that we haven't, already really talked a lot about unless you are rick i'm uh no i didn't see much new the only thing i can say about style of play that we heard sean talk a lot about playing more up tempo when he was doing the the interview tours and doing the podcast stuff and talking about what some of the insights he had from taking a year off and just watching a lot of national college basketball and something that kept coming up was he he was talking about wanting to play a little bit faster and and changing some things he did to to be able to play faster and that includes what he does on the defensive end and things like that and and part of that will also include what type of lineups you are playing so i think one thing you're seeing is uh adam cohen i think it was mentioned on one of the podcasts i did with him uh if you can't shoot don't recruit was the saying he used and that clearly seems to be the case they have clearly targeted a lot of shooters in this 2023 class they landed the guy who in my opinion is the best shooter in the entire class so I think they have prioritized that. And then the other thing is I think they are looking to, based on what I've heard, just play more up-tempo. And part of this, these workouts over the summer has been getting the guys used to some of that stuff. Now, how many different years have you heard in the offseason that a team is going to play more up-tempo and their players talk about, oh, yeah, coach has us running crazy in practice. We're going to play up-tempo. And then you get into the year and, like, they're running the same old thing and, and playing. So, I mean, like, Mick Cronin did that every year, I think, while he was at UC. So, again, <laughs> we'll see what happens when they actually get into games. But based on the way the recruiting and the early feedback, I do think maybe look for something a little bit more up-tempo and look for them to continue to target some, like, maybe – smaller lineups that shoot the ball well, that are highly skilled, that have athletic big men that can really hedge and move their feet. 
we got a lot of tweets asking about expectations and we don't need to spend forever on it because like you just said a second ago, Rick, we haven't seen these guys play together. We really don't know anything about how any of these guys are going to gel, but you know what I will say? And I was thinking about this the other day, you look at the big East right now and I can't remember a time in the big East since it went through realignment back. Uh, we're almost going on 10 years. We're not there yet. But we're almost, I mean, it's, this conference is really settling itself in into uh, this new era of the Big East now, and it's not so new anymore. And I was going back through the years trying to figure out, in my mind, when there has been so much uncertainty in a year as this year. When you look at guys that have transferred in, expectations for teams, and then the coaching turnover. I, I can't remember a year. There's definitely been years where, you know, we've been surprised. You know, somebody obviously sure. every that happens every year. Teams outperform preseason expectations. That's a given. But where we're going into a year where Jay Wright's not there and there's what, four, five, four, five new coaches in the Big East. And there's Seton yeah, Hall. Shaheen Holloway. Seton Hall, Butler, Xavier, Villanova. Am I missing anybody? Somebody's screaming in their car right now. I don't know. DePaul is the same. St. John's is the yeah. same. Marquette is the same. Yep. So we're at seven teams now, I think. Pro Ed's it still at Providence. Yeah, Providence is the same. Creighton's the same. UConn's still the same. Yeah, so four. Yeah, okay, so there we go. Okay, but still, but but yeah, but, but I mean, but th but those are big. I mean, those I mean, the Villanova one's the huge one for me. Yeah, it's like Villanova. You knew what to expect. Like, okay, worst case, if they weren't the best team in the conference coming in this year, they were probably number two. Yeah, because everyone's in love with Creighton for some reason, which we've already talked. <laughs> we, about. We don't need to do yeah, that. We again. don't need to do that. <laughs> but 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 when you look at the expectations for Xavier going into this year, and you look at the Big East as a whole, I don't. I it may be in a more unique way than in other years when it has there's when there's been uncertainty, but there's always been the looming Villanova over the whenever there's uncertainty, there's always Villanova. Villanova is yeah. always there, and now they're. Maybe isn't that maybe it, it, to me, they're still there until proven otherwise. And they're still going to have a good roster, I think, but it's way more uncertain than it would be if Jay Wright was the head coach going into this year. Yeah. It just is. And, and maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe God Neptune's going to be great and the train's going to keep rolling, but you have to prove it to us first. Like we're yeah. not ju just going to give you that when Jay Wright leaves. And I mean, it could be if they take a step down for a couple of years, it could get really interesting here all of a sudden and how this conference works. And you just wonder like, is UConn ready to kind of fulfill that role of being the power of the conference? Like they believe they should be. And that like, a lot of national people have talked about since they joined the conference. I haven't really seen that yet. Like they're a top half of the conference type program, I think right now, but they are not clearly like the heir apparent to take over the Big East throne, in my opinion, after Villanova steps back, if they do. So I'm interested to see how that storyline develops and what happens to Villanova, not just this year, but the next few years under their new direction. To, for me, for Xavier, I think they should be a top half of the Big East type team. I think that's kind of where I start my expectations. Maybe that'll change as we get closer to the beginning of the season. I see them more in practice. We hear some more about these other teams. But I think you know somewhere around fourth, fifth is where I think this team should fall in the conference this year as a a starting point for expectations. Now, could they be a little bit better than that? It's yeah, it's quite possible. Could they be a little worse? I think the naysayers could make a case for that, especially because I still go back to a concern of where is the shooting going to come from on this team? It's been a problem for multiple years. Yes. They added Sule boom, but they also lost Paul Scruggs and Nate Johnson. 
is Cam Kraft going to be able to make a big enough difference off the bench to go with Sule Boom to, to replace those guys and give you more shooting than you've had? Or will Sean Miller, just a new coach, make that big of a difference? I think that's the way most people feel is that having a new coach that runs a different system and maybe applies a tighter leash to certain guys and gets the team to play a little bit more disciplined is going to have a huge impact on this team. But there is a world in which we could see it just being like, well, as it turns out, the roster construction still wasn't great. And those young guys aren't quite ready to make the jump. And so this team is still middle of the pack in the Big East and loses a few games that they may should win. So I think the expectations could be uh, a little bit all over the place. But my guess is most people would have them somewhere between like third and sixth in the conference this year. Yeah, I I would say an expectation going into this year is that you're not going to play on Wednesday at Madison Square Garden and you're going to make the NCAA tournament. I would say that that's a pretty good baseline for where to to set yourself if you're looking at Xavier this year, at least in my mind. Yeah, I mean, you look at Jack Nungy and Colby Jones. There isn't a team in the Big East that wouldn't take them immediately yeah. and be thrilled with that that tandem right there. If Zach Fremantle has a decent bounce-back year and is just solid, he doesn't have to be great, but if he is solid to go along with those two, if Adam Kunkel shoots a little bit more consistently, but overall plays similar to how he did last year. I think he was he was more than passable. Um, and then Sule Boom is a little bit of a wild card, but if you get some some production from him and solid point guard play out of him, then yeah, I mean, I think this team has a lot of experience and they should be expected to, to be in the top half of the conference and not playing on Wednesday night in the Big East tournament. But I felt yeah. that way about last year's team going in too. You know, so I mean, We'll see. I, I think a lot of this is going to be, you need to prove it to us still. Um, but Sean Miller is going to have some time to get these guys on the same page, get them bought into a new system, get them comfortable with playing in that new system. So, I mean, they have, in my opinion, some wiggle room with the new coaching staff, obviously, in terms of where you should set the expectations. But I do think this is a team that the coaching staff feels like they can hit the ground running a little bit. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're great right off the bat this season, but I think it means this year, this first year, they can be competitive right away. It's not a rebuild that they have to go through. No. Yeah. Rick, anything else before we sign off here? I don't think so. I mean, we got a lot of good stuff coming up. There's a lot of recruiting stuff still to come, given that that was just their first commit of the class here, and it's getting down to that time where a lot of these guys are going to be making their decisions here the end of August and into September, and then we're going to get into preseason practice the first year with Sean Miller and his new coaching staff. So it should be good. Again, we're running a 50% off promo. You sign up, you get a year subscription for $4.48 a month. You can't beat it. Take advantage of that right now. And uh, that's good through Monday night. All right. So if you're listening on Monday, August 8th, make sure you go and subscribe. Uh, Rick and I will probably check in with you for another podcast. Uh, The biggie schedule usually comes out around a month or so from now unless something crazy happens, there won't be too much to talk about before then that we haven't covered already. Um, but then as we get closer in with preseason practice and all that, obviously the the podcast schedule and everything can ramp up more, but I'd say to check in maybe around the, the biggie schedule time or something like that uh, within a few weeks. But uh, for Rick, I'm Paul. Thanks for listening, everybody.